My subject this morning is living in spiritual poverty. It seems like so many of us go through life begging God for what we already have. And I have experienced this at, by first hand. Most Christians do not realize how good they really have it. When I became a Christian, I could not see or understand the spiritual, the, the, the con spiritual control of what I was witnessing. And I thought, was God in control? And then I thought, in control of what? What's he really controlling? And I began to question a lot of things about God. I could not understand the fairness of God. As I traveled around to different places in the world, when I was over in Vietnam and Philippines and Okinawa, in the Far East, the Middle East, I could not understand God. Why people suffer, why people go through what they go through. It seems like if you're fortunate enough to be born in a certain place, then you would hear about God. You'd hear about his love. You'd, you, would, you would come to an understanding of who God is. But if you're born in certain other places, the chances are you'd never hear about the true God. As a young pastor, I would visit the VA hospital. And I would go there, and I remember one lady called me, and she said, my father's in the VA hospital. Would you go visit him? And I said, yes, I'll be glad to. Give me his name. And then she said, but he's not a very nice person to be around. And I said, well, thanks for the warning. And I'll never forget when I went into his room. He was in bed. He was bed-bound. He had served in the military. He got severely wounded, and now he's laying in a bed. And I walked into his room. He says, who are you? And I said, well, my name is Gary Ellard. I'm a pastor, local pastor here. And your daughter has asked me to stop and visit with you. And he says, well, I wish you would mind her own business. And, I, and he says, you can get the hell out of here right now. I said, well, I'm not so sure I'm going to leave right now. I said, there's not much you can do. So I said, I just thought I'd come in here and find out who you are, what you are, where you served. I said, and maybe we served in the same place. I said, I don't know. He calmed down a little bit. And then he said, well, I don't really want to talk to anybody. And I said, okay. But I said, I'll be here every week. You want to talk? Fine. If you don't, fine. But I'll come in in your room and I'll sit in that chair. So each week I would come in and sit down. And he got so that he would talk a little bit. Months went by. And his daughter called me. And she said, Pastor Gary, she said, um, my father passed away last night. Oh, I said, I'm sorry to hear that. And she said, yes, and I visited with him just a couple of days ago, and he said that if anything should happen to him, 
he said he wants that pastor that comes here every week to bury him. I said, okay. I said, I'll have the funeral service. Be glad to do that. Every week, I would also go to the jail. And I'd spend the day there at the jail with the prisoners, sometimes playing cards with them. But I would always give a Bible study and have prayer with them. I now, I, I now find and believe that I was fulfilling or finding relief from my own guilt and shame. And thinking that maybe God would really forgive me, although here I was a preacher and I understood forgiveness and everything, but yet I thought, well, maybe God would really forgive me and really accept me if I would, if I would do my part, if I would, if I would serve him and by serving others. But no relief came. It seems like it was always lingering there. I was a troubled soul. And I would oftentimes pray, God, please take away the guilt and please relieve my shame and help me to understand your love for me. Now, I could read John 3.16. I could quote other scriptures that talk about the love of God. But somehow there seemed to be a vacuum there. Somehow I've always related back to what was wrong with me anyway. And my answer came through understanding and learning the exchange life in Christ. Now, that's what we teach here now. We teach here the exchange life in Christ. That your life can be exchanged for Christ's life and bring you freedom. Now, in Romans 6, 3 and 4, the Bible says this. Oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, this is not talking about water baptism. It says, don't you know, like, didn't you know? Didn't you understand? And Paul is saying, oh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, you too may have a new life. And that's what we need. We need a new life. Now this spiritual baptism happens to every person who puts their faith in Christ at the very moment that they do. Now, some people may go to a church. Some people may turn on a TV. 
And some people, just in their own darkness and emptiness, they'll cry out like I did, if there is a God, if there is, then I would like to experience that. I would like and invite you to come into my life. And at that very moment, God does exactly that. The Bible says that you were spiritually dead before you accepted Christ. The Bible says you were alienated from the life of God. The Bible says you're a guilty sinner and liable to judgment. But where are you today? For the past two months, I've been talking to you about what's gone forever. The Bible says that our sins are not only forgiven, they're taken away, and they're taken away forever, and he remembers them no more. The Bible says that you have total forgiveness. According to Ephesians 1.7, the Bible says, In him, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. But here's the problem. There are many Christians who are born again, who understand about God and his love. And yet they doubt, just as I did, that all of their sins are forgiven. They question that because it keeps on like a recording coming up in their mind. The bottom line is that somehow we think that God cares more about our right behavior than our trust and dependence upon him. Shame drives us to hide. Convinced we cannot truly be forgiven or made clean. The truth is that Jesus Christ could never live in a person unless all of his sins were taken away. Forgiven and taken away forever. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, And you were also included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth. When was that? When you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Having believed. Having accepted that. Having asking God to come into your life. Having believed you were marked with him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Notice the word redemption. It's referring to the resurrection of our bodies. Because the Bible says that when you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, figuratively, spiritually, you were already seated with Christ. That's why the Bible says that no one can pluck you out of his hand because you are already seated in the heavenlies. And you notice the word deposit. The Bible says it's like a down payment. Or it's, or it's like an earnest money. Guaranteeing our inheritance. It is Christ living in us through the Holy Spirit. That is our assurance that we are saved. Here is what happened. 
God took your sins and mine and gave them to the sinless Christ. At the cross, he received our punishment for us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and he took that death. He died for the sins of the world. And then God did something that most of us fail to understand and realize. God not only took away our sins, but he added something. He added his righteousness. It is a gift. Your righteousness is a gift from God. Whether you feel righteous or not, you are righteous. It is a gift that God has given to you. In Christ, he has given us that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The Bible says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have become righteous. Did you know that you were born of God? Did you know that you are born of the Spirit? And what does all that mean? It means that you are okay. It means that there's nothing wrong with you. You may think that there's something wrong with you, but the Bible says there is nothing wrong with you. You're okay. In Galatians 3.27, it says, For all, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed. Clothe yourself with Christ. Hebrews 10.14, Because of our one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And that's you and me. We are being made holy but we are now perfect forever. The life in Christ is not about what we can do to make ourselves worthy. It's about trusting Christ for what he has done to make us worthy. Some have said, every time that I hear that I am righteous, I get really confused. I find myself going right back on that old treadmill of trying and trying and trying to be right with God. Our righteousness has to be more than seeing than God seeing me that way. What is the truth about righteousness? Well, most Christians, they believe that their heart is wicked. I can't tell you through the years how many people have come up to me and said, I know I have a wicked heart. Born again Christians who seem to think that their heart is wicked. Jesus gave us a new heart. He took that heart of stone out of us, performed a surgery, and gave us a heart like his. We need to see that our right, what, our, what our righteousness actually is. Because it is based on what not of what we have done, but what we have in us now. We have a new heart. A living, giving from the very heart that God gave us. No righteousness is deeper than just God seeing us that way. If you 
and I are going to be an expression of the righteousness of God. We do not have to wait until we get cleaned up. That's what so many people believe today. I must first get cleaned up. I must prove to God that I am worthy somehow. And so we come up with all sorts of different formulas. We come up and we say, okay, you have to read your Bible every day. You have to pray every day. It's not that there's anything wrong with that, but this is things that they say that you have to do to be clean. You have to confess. You have to, you have to do everything that God has outlined in the Bible or whatever denomination that you may be in outlined through that. This is not some view that God has of you. God is not pretending that we are righteous. God is not just calling us righteous or seeing us righteous. God is not wanting us to see ourselves like he sees us. There's something a lot deeper now, I know that if we believe the magic word, believe, there's a, lot, there's a lot of confusion in the churches today about that. About if you believe hard enough, strong enough, then it will happen. It doesn't work that way. He wants to express his life through us in the midst of our mess and confusion and frustration that we're going through. Religion says that you can do, if you do everything right, if you study, quiet time, do all these things right, pay your tithe, everything else like that, then everything is going to work out beautifully. But that's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. Paul prayed three times. He had an affliction with his eyes. He prayed three times that God would take that affliction away. And what happened? After the third time, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. That is the whole purpose of Christ living in you. You may be thinking, if only God would just take my, my difficulties, my trials, my tribulations, if he'd just take them away. That's all I really want, if God would just take them away. And I pray, God, please take it away. And you may be like Paul. Take it away, Lord, once. Take it away. Take it away. But you may hear, my grace is sufficient for you. Listen. We can all use Paul's method. We can all pray for three times. And if it doesn't happen, then we need to hear in the back of our voice, my grace is sufficient for you. I know that there are some who, who believe, well, I, I don't feel righteous. Righteousness is not a feeling. It is a fact. Listen, you and I have an opportunity in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our struggle, whatever that struggle may be, we have an opportunity to allow God to work through us 
All we have to do is let Jesus be Jesus. We believe that Christ lives in us. So all we have to do is let Jesus be Jesus and live his life through us. We need to take God at face value. We, we need to believe what he says is true. That righteousness is not some kind of emotion. It is a fact of truth. You are righteous. Righteous is a spiritual condition. It's not something you work for to get. It is a gift that God has given to you. God has given you the gift of eternal life. Now God has given you the gift of righteousness. You are right before God. I hear oftentimes, well, if I were righteous, wouldn't I stop sinning? As if to say that being righteous has got something to do with our performance, how well we perform. No, it, there's no condition to it. It is a gift from God. Our righteousness is a gift from God. There's no condition that you have to act a certain way, be a certain way. No. There would be no walk in faith if that was a situation. If I could feel some sort of feeling or experience some type of activity that would make you say, wow, God's presence is here. Wow, that is something else. No. Our righteousness is not an emotional thing. It's not based on feelings. I can remember years ago when Catherine Kuhlman, I don't know if any of you heard of her, she was a great healer that went around the country. She, she always wore white. She came out on the stage and she was like an angel. And Benny Hinn and all those who, the faith healers today, they all were taught by her. Or most of them were, I should say. And there was a doctor in Rochester, Minnesota. He was a young Catholic doctor. And when he heard that Catherine Kuhlman was coming in, and then they were asking for volunteer doctors, he volunteered. And when they screened him, he didn't say anything about his religious background. And so he was on the staff. And so he witnessed people coming up, getting healed, throwing away crutches, getting out of wheelchairs. And then he, he was privy to the, the names that he had, had, that he had interviewed as a physician. And so he waited 90 days and he went back and visited those people. And he did not find one that was healed. In fact, they were worse off emotionally. They didn't blame Catherine Kuhlman. They didn't blame God. They blamed themselves that they didn't have enough faith. And can you imagine what that would do to an individual? That they throw away their crutches, they walk off the stage, and the following day they're looking for their crutches because they can't walk. Faith, belief, is not an emotion. 
It's not a feeling. It's none of those. We are who we are by birth. That's why the Bible says that you must be born again. You must be reborn. We are who we are by birth and not by what we do. Listen, we were born sinners. We had absolutely nothing to do about that. We came into this world and we're born sinners. We get a little bit older, we go to church and the church says you're not supposed to sin. How does that work? You're born sinners and now you're not supposed to sin. And so we're haunted with the fact that there's something wrong with me because I'm not supposed to sin. And yet we were born sinners. But the good news is that when we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we were reborn and we received the gift of righteousness. We are right with God. We don't always act right. We don't always do the right things. But that's who we are. We are born again. And we receive the gift of eternal life, which we will receive and already experiencing. So we receive the gift of eternal life and we receive the gift of Christ's righteousness. We are born again. Now, the truth is that there are influences and factors that are real when it comes to sin. There's two things I want to bring up. One is the flesh. The flesh causes us, tempts us to sin. What is the flesh? Well, basically it's your personality. You are, as a result of your parents, the gene pool that you inherited. You had nothing to do with that. If you had a mother or father that was an addict, you may have a problem in that line. But you had nothing to do with it. You're a product of the environment in which you grew up in. And you had nothing to do with that. And you're a product of the religious training you had or didn't have. And you had nothing to do with that. And so... The devil tempts us through the flesh. The devil knows that you are born again. The devil knows that he can only harass you. He can only put thoughts through your head. He can only do those things. He cannot enter you. He cannot possess you. Greater is he that is within you. And that is God. That is Christ living in you. Than he that is in the world. And then there is what Paul describes, the power of sin. There's the flesh, and then there's the power of sin. Well, what is the power of sin? Notice how Paul describes it in Romans 7. He describes the power of sin as the thing I know I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. Has that ever happened to any of you? Sure, it happens to all of us. The things that we know we shouldn't do, we end up doing. And then Paul goes on and he writes this. It is no longer I myself who, who does it. It's not me. It's the power of sin living in me. 
That's what causes me to do it. So there's two things. There's the flesh, your personality. You struggle, every one of us struggle differently because we were brought up differently. Some were brought up in a home where they had a mother and father. Some were not. We're all brought up differently. Paul is saying this. When it comes to sin, when it comes to the temptation of sin, he says this. It's not coming from my heart. It's not coming from my heart. It's not coming from my spirit. I, because I don't want to do some of the things that I do. So it's not my heart. My heart is pure. Christ gave me a new heart. I have a new heart now. The Bible says that whenever we have any problems with this evil influence that we have coming through our thought life, and we will have it, and we do have it, that we are to count ourselves dead to sin. So when those thoughts go through our minds, we say, no, I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. They're going to come. There's no question about it. But when it happens to you, you can say what Paul said, it's not me. It's not me. It's sin that dwells in me. It's not me. It's the flesh. And the flesh is not me. The power of sin is not me. Because God gave me a new heart. He gave me his righteousness. I am right before God. It doesn't depend on what I do. Now there's no question that God wants us to agree with God. He wants us to agree with him that we are born again. We're born of God. We're born of the Spirit. We need to agree that that's exactly who we are. We are born again. We have a new heart. We have a new purpose. And I am alive to God. I am dead to sin. So thought comes through. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. I'm alive to God. I'm alive to God. God has given me the power. God has given me everything that I need to walk the, the path of the Christian life. And we're not going to be free from sin. You know, it's interesting that all these years, all this preaching, all this teaching, nobody has stopped sinning. Why? Why can't we just force ourselves to not sin? Because it's sin that dwells in us. We're always going to have that temptation. And that's why God says, I will not hold your sins against you. When he died on the cross, he died for all sin. Past, present, future. Now, we all realize that Christ living in me is going to have an impact on the way that I live out my life. It's going to have a huge impact. 
every day, I trust that God is going to go with me, be with me, and he's going to dwell in me. And when these thoughts come through, no, I'm dead to that, I'm alive to God. I'm dead to that, I'm alive to God. I'm dead to that, I'm alive to God. You and I are alive to God. You and I have the righteousness of Christ in us. It is a gift. It is only natural that we want to do right. And that's why Paul said, it is not me. It is not me. No, I desire to do only right. But sin that dwells in me. This is the one that's, that's tempting me. But Paul says, but I'm dead to that now. Now I'm dead to that. Now I understand that I'm dead to that. Those thoughts, no, I'm dead to that. I'm alive to God. And that's how we live every day of our life. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have come into our life. We're thankful for your righteousness, that we are right, that we're okay with you. We're thankful, Lord, for for everything that you have done and are doing in our lives. And I pray that as we leave this building, we will leave with the assurance that we are dead to sin and alive to God. And we thank you and praise you for that. Bless us to this end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.